Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Of course, read us at Indie Cornrows as well. Um, you know, coming at you after a uh, a very banged up loss to Brooklyn. Is that even a, an adjective that we can use? Uh, Pacers lose 130 to 113. Uh, joined by my co-host, Tom Lewis. Tom, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. I have, you know, working limbs, my arms, legs, everything <laughs> yeah. feels pretty good. You don't so have a I, concussion. Fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. first of all, hopefully, uh, hopefully all the guys are okay. Jakar, I mean, it looked like when he was on the ground, it looked like he was out of it. So I'm hoping that he yeah, doesn't he definitely got an elbow. He's all right. Um, you know, Malcolm, I didn't see anything happen on court, but regardless, you know, I think it was his hamstring that was bugging him. Uh, and Ed, uh, it, it looked like Ed did something to his knee earlier in the game and it was bugging him a little bit, but he was moving around fine on court. And then he had that awkward finish at the rim and came down on it and immediately came off the court. So um, hopefully he's okay too. I know he wasn't, he, he didn't go immediately back to the locker room. He was kind of, you know, debating it and trying to get it stretched out. But uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, I mean, now what is that seven guys on the injury report? I think it's, it's eight. I, uh, they for this game, they ended up with more people that were out than were available. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you kick in the two guys who are inactive, I mean, right now they have nine available. So, uh, you know, bring Calvert Cheney off the bench. The guys yeah. are still out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the head thing that was kind of scary, just the way yeah. he came down, and and whenever you grab a knee like that, it seems bad. I it felt like the the way they were uh, working on him on the sideline, uh, especially with the trainers, the body language and everything felt like it wasn't that bad. So, uh, of course, you see ACLs where <laughs> guys are walking off. And yeah, you never know. Like Jeremy's injury bad. last year didn't even look that bad on court, and he walked off. And um, you know, Yeah, but the way they were working it, I, I feel like they wouldn't have been doing as much if, yeah. they, if they had that concern. Oh, for so sure. hopefully it just – is something that's minimal, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, when when uh, Bradman went out so early, and, and I mean, like he, I, I mentally noted in early in the half. I mean, I 
think he had four rebounds, but it, it wasn't the, the fact. I mean, he was fighting his ass off for rebounds, even though he wasn't he wasn't getting them a lot. You know, I mean, he's just not that big, but he was in there. I, I took Mel. I was like, God dang it, bro. I appreciate the effort to fight on the glass like that, um, whether you're getting it or not. And then, of course, he comes up strained, um, and, and, we, and we lose that effort. But, uh, yeah, just chunk it up to the season that is just fizzling away right before our eyes. Yeah. Um, it's tough, too, because Malcolm – I mean, Malcolm played the entire first quarter, um, missed all of his shots but got to the line. You could see, too, like – I mean, he was guarding Durant for most of the quarter, too. I know. He, he just – he does everything for Indy. Um, it, it's hard to – it's hard to, like, not notice that. Like, um, it, it was uh, – and, of course, it's super apparent when he's off the court. It's just – yeah, I'm I'm hoping that he's not out for extended games, but of course, number number one is always his health as a priority. Um, yeah, those. To, I think the best way to equate tonight is that Kevin Durant scored 42 points on I think 77 percent true shooting, which is uh, that's pretty good. 76 um, percent mm-hmm. true shooting, my bad, uh, but that's ridiculous. And a lot of it came down to there was just nobody who could contest his shot. Um, we can talk about the defense because the defense was horrific, but at the same time, it's kind of like I don't really know what to dissect from it because the defense has already been a problem when you have all the starters together. And then you have it down to playing this lineup that's uh, – I mean, this was the fourth game in a row, I believe, of them playing together. Um, and you're playing the best <laughs> offensive team in basketball just about. I think it was the fourth game in a row. Yeah. Um, the only player in the starting lineup with the positive plus minus, and it, it, you could feel it on court, was O'Shea Brissett. I mean, we'll talk about O'Shea mm. again, but, I mean, like, the defense was just uh, – it was horrible tonight. Um, they couldn't yeah, contain well, anybody. I mean, Durant, it, too. Well, it wasn't I, even I, just Durant. Like, it's just they're able to contain yeah. Durant at, at times. Like, Malcolm, I thought, did a solid job at the beginning. Durant wasn't even scoring that much early. Um, but everything – I mean, he was – he ended up with 10 assists and, and that tracks like he was uh, they were they were doubling him early. They were soft hedging on some of the some of the ball screens um, doing anything they could to get the ball out of his hands. But it didn't matter because they couldn't contain anything on the back end. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, when he has that mid range fadeaway on the baseline, there's just nobody you can't guard it. I mean, it was an easy 42 for him. But I mean, even, you know, I. There were a few times where I'm like, God, that, that, there's about all you can do is get that hand up yeah. into him. I mean, he shoots it so far over his head and he's already seven feet. You know, that's why he is Durant. Um, and there's just nothing you can do. But like you say, I mean, um, he, he was just running things out there. And, and he played a lot. Um, I, I, it, was, it was interesting. I was like, oh, they made him bring Durant back in the fourth quarter there. And, and um uh, when the Pacers did make that late run. And, and actually, I thought Caleb Martin did a pretty fair job. I mean, he certainly yeah. went after uh, Durant in the fourth quarter defensively, which was, you know, great to see. Um, he, he really he really had a, a strong stretch there, really aggressive on both ends of the floor. So um, that's good to see from yeah, uh, Keelan. That was one of my notes as well. I thought he played the best defense that anybody on the team did against Kevin. Um Mm-hmm. which is like again not saying a ton but he was competitive like he he there was a possession um when it was on the um 
on the left wing. So if you're looking, you know, looking yep. at the screen yep. as far away, exactly yeah, he kept about. exactly yeah. with him, kept his hand up the entire time, didn't foul him. Um, and he hit rim. I mean, that was like, that was a perfect defensive possession. And then, <laughs> yeah, of course, was, as good. soon as I fire off the tweet that Keelan just played an awesome defensive possession, he picks up a foul, you know, 10 seconds later as, as Kevin Durant comes back yeah. down the court. But that's the nature of playing as Kevin Durant. But, uh, yeah, no, I thought that was promising uh, because it was a little bit harrowing watching Alizé Johnson get a 20-20 on the other side. Uh, awesome mm-hmm. for, for Alizé, but also it's just like, uh, like it's been I mean, awesome. The Pacers to see haven't really needed rebounding over the past few years. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, yeah. He's just you let him go. Just, uh, um, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like it, it, that was, uh, that was something to to behold a little bit. Um, because I, you know, I tweeted that out too. I'm like, you know, it's awful cathartic watching Alize Johnson corral long rebound against the Pacers, <laughs> but um, so it is. But uh, I mean, yeah, with Keelan though, that that was. Even though he he really wasn't an impactor offensively, he had like a couple of nice drives. Uh, didn't really, uh, you know, he yeah. missed his threes, didn't hit it much, um, missed some bunnies. But I just thought that was the best stretch he's he's played with the Pacers. He looked kind of comfortable for the first time. Um, he's always like he always just seems a little bit yeah. um, on edge and and you know wanting to make the most of his opportunity, which you you get, but like you need him to just be calm and, and, and on court. And I, I thought he provided that tonight. And I, I'll, I mean, he's going to have to play against Oklahoma city. It seems like, yeah. um, so that'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, yeah, man. I think he had, he had a chance. Uh, he missed an open three that was, I think that was a fourth time at which point I was going to be like, Holy crap, this could be the key yeah. to the <laughs> But, uh, alas, it didn't get it done the offensive end, but you know, I guess maybe if, uh, Somehow the Pacers cobble together a playoff appearance and they end up playing the Mets. At least now we got a KD stop or stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe not, he not can blow go, in KD's ear. Go, you know, um, too much hyperbole here, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Well, okay, so let's talk about Karras. Karras had a uh, he had a good offensive game. Um, Thirty six points. It felt effortless in some regards. Uh, he was taking some tough shots too, but I mean, he hit. I think he hit three or four pull up threes. Had one that was a catch and shoot, five of nine from three, is his best three point shooting game that he's had in a while. Um, was getting to the rim with some relative ease, had some nice passes out of it. Uh, I mean, nobody else could hit a shot for worth a shit. Um, you know, I think he actually could have finished with 10 or 11 assists if, um, you know, yeah. if, if anybody was hitting right. shots. But uh, no, he had a really good game offensively. Uh, did, I mean, part of it's, I don't. I think Brooklyn's defense was was obviously suspect. It was not very good tonight. They they do a lot of really questionable soft switching. Like um, they were letting Karras get his matchups easily. Like Jeff Green was his primary defender, and they would anytime there was a ball screen set. And like O'Shea is not a good screener right now, which makes sense. He played the three in college. Most guys like that who come into the NBA and aren't used to screening anybody, they're not going to be great at screening. He's not relatively big for somebody who's being used as a screener, but like, I mean, they would just easily let any kind of switch happen. So that was nice for Karras. He was getting that pretty easily. Um, there were times though where like they switched well and they were giving Indy some problems early on in the, in the first quarter, but ultimately like, what did you, what did you take away from Karras's game tonight? Well, I, I kind of felt like, you know, after Brodman went down, it was, I felt like he was definitely, um, you know, 
almost in ball hog mode. And at, at that point, it's like you got to be because yeah, he's he's the the guy out there. Um, but early in the game, I know that, that you know the Pacers were kind of hanging with the Nets, but God, there was just so much just ISO three balls, and I mean they were making them, but it wasn't great offense, you know. Um, and at this point, you know, I think Karras, you know, was just like, I, I gotta make, I gotta make plays, and you know, they're trying to spread out. And you're right, mm-hmm. it, it was very easy for him to get, get the switch he he wanted, and then he he, yeah, he just was nice getting in that lane and, and creating something. Um, but you know, overall, I I have I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I don't know how many shot attempts he had, but twenty four. Uh, Seems like it was a lot. Oh, okay, so I mean that's a lot, but um, but that's uh, you know gonna <laughs> the rest of the way. I think he's just gonna have to be that uh, almost black hole offensively to at least be the focal point where he's either going in the score or trying to find someone to to dish to. So um, you know defensively, it's kind of the same thing. We, we've been saying there's a lot of that tonight. Yeah, um, his defense was uh, was particularly not great tonight, which, I mean, I guess you get because of what he had to do offensively. But, man, he had a couple of possessions that were, <laughs> were, uh, were rough um, is a nice way yeah, to put it. Yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yep. Um, what did you think of Aaron Holiday's game tonight? Because I thought there were a couple of flashes there that looked promising. Um, like he, he had the three going, um, hit the one pull up, hit, hit one out of catch and shoot. I had a couple of nice drives to the rim, but uh, I don't know. What, what what did you think of Aaron's game tonight? Yeah, you know, and combining maybe because I, I don't think we've, we've talked about him that much in the last game either, but even though he got in early. Um, mm. But um, and I, I feel like his effort defensively was there at times, but it's it just seems up and down. So um, it, it'd be – he's going to, again, like, um, you're saying about Keelan, I mean, Aaron definitely is going to get, um, you know, more opportunities and, and a chance to run. I know uh, uh, Bjorkman was talking about before the game, just that um, he's he's going to get his opportunities, um, even though he, he hadn't for a little bit. And it's, you know, you look at his overall numbers and their, you know, percentages and shooting and all that, um, it, it feels like he's shooting below 30% from three, you know, at times, and then, but he he really isn't shooting that bad from three. It's just that he's been so streaky. Um, so, it, you know, hopefully he can get comfortable. Like you said about about Keelan, I, I agree with you. It. It's just you can tell the guys like comfortable and attacking, as opposed to just attacking, trying to make something happen, and and not being um, in the right playing zone where, where they can be productive. So, uh, hopefully, he can get he can find that zone here, and. Uh, and make an impact here with the opportunity that's coming up. Yeah, exactly. Like Caitlin tweeted that out tonight. Like just, I, I think she, her exact wording was, I wish that Aaron would just play within himself in the system. And that's, that's how it felt tonight. Like, not that he did that more like there were moments, but then it's just the constant, like, you know, he'll, there'll just be a flash and he tries to make something happen and it's a little too much. And it just, it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work for him or for the team. Um, it's it's yeah, been it so like weird. Just cons- no man's land yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Just considering like, especially too, like looking at how he had things going in the bubble. Um, because I really thought, you know, watching in the bubble, he looked like a borderline starter in the bubble. 
um, mm -hmm. until the playoffs. I mean, a part of that was the, the matchup was difficult. Um, but yeah, it's just been so weird for him this year. Um, I, I, one more thing that I do want to hit on for sure, uh, before we talk about O'Shea, uh, because I think we always have to end on a positive note with the pod talking about O'Shea. Um, <laughs> How worried are you about Justin Holiday shooting? He went 0 for 6 tonight. Um, it had looked for a couple games like he was maybe going to be back a little bit, but he just hasn't been shooting as much recently, and it just isn't going in when he is taking them. Uh, he was, I mean, coming into tonight, he was shooting 32% from three in the month of April. Uh, compounding tonight, I think that's going to put him below 31%. Um, yeah, I bet. Hmm. I don't know. It's just been, it's been a really, really difficult month for him offensively. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I do feel like he definitely is one guy who's probably worn down. I mean, we talk about Broadman, but I mean, he's he's played so much. Yeah. Um, in so many variety of roles and a lot of them playing, you know, I mean, having to play against the sides that he's had to play against that we just take for granted and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I do feel like, you know, that's got to be part of it um, on the offensive end. And also, um, you know, from the time that, you know, Karras came back and was full go and then, you know, in that kind of space, it seems like it was fleeting, but when they were relatively healthy <laughs> um, and, you know, his role changed dramatically at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, um, yeah, you know, there were times where he was only shooting a couple times a, a game or two or three in games. Um, and that's obviously because, you know, he's getting volume shots up with Rodman and, and uh, LeVert. So, um, so I think that combo of the just volume of minutes he, he's played and then uh, adjusting and not having a consistent kind of uh, offensive role or, or um you know offensive looks consistently like he may have you know may have had it earlier in the year uh where he could get more into a flow i think those things kind of have probably thrown him into into the shooting slump and now i mean he he seems like he's getting more shots now off the bench obviously but it's just a matter of now trying to find that that rhythm and, and get it back but yeah i you know i mean the season's winding down here and i <laughs> It's hard to say if he's gonna get it back or not, but it, it's been it's been a struggle to watch. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, and hopefully things are able to come back for him. And and you're totally right. I mean, the uh, I I don't know if anybody's had quite the uh, um, the I mean, I guess I can't say no that nobody has. I mean, Malcolm and Domas, it's toned down a little bit um, since the beginning of the year. But yeah, Justin, his workload this year has been ridiculous. He's played the most games on the team. Uh, he's the only guy who's played in every single game. Um, and mm -hmm. it just uh, – it, it really – I mean, you can tell it's really shown what, what he's had to do on both ends. Um, so, you know, hopefully – And also, hopefully, you know, oh, yeah. for his career, you know, he he's not a guy who has played that much, you know. Yeah. So, um, it, it's, you know, Domas and, and Malcolm – even though they're younger, but they're, you know, they kind of, they're used to that, that type of workload and managing and everything. And, and um, you know, this year, Justin's just been, just been showing up and playing as much as they put him in. So, um, but, that, you know, the whole thing is, is kind of an adjustment 
over the long haul. So, uh, um, yeah, that, that's all, that's all there in there for him. So. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, all right. So let's talk about O'Shea, uh, to close out. Um, the three keeps falling, uh, which is awesome. Was two of five from tonight. I mean, from three tonight, uh, finally got the G league stats to load and he shot 33% from three in the G league and he's shooting close to, I think now he'll be around 43 and a half percent from three with the Pacers, um, you know, up on the big club. And it, I mean, it just, it looks good. It's falling. Well, mm-hmm. I, he's taking it confidently. I, I don't, I, I really don't think he's a 40% shooter from here on out, but regardless, like, he just so many of the rotations he made tonight. Like he was just the one bright spot continuously tonight, and I, that's hard to say, even with how well Karis played. Like I just felt O'Shea was there on both ends, regardless. Like it's funny too, because even at Syracuse, um, he did not have a single, even playing the zone there, he didn't average more than I think he averaged point eight blocks per game both years that he was at Syracuse. Um, and he's averaging like almost two blocks a game with the Pacers right now. He had three tonight. Uh, and it's not just coming from like chasing shots. Like he's, he's really getting stuff off of like he had a shot just on a one-on-one, uh, a block on a one-on-one contest, I think on Joe Harris. No, mm-hmm. it was on Landry Shamit. Um, had two steals tonight too. Like he just was so active defensively while still just providing the right stuff. Like he's, he's capable of coming in and helping and, and closing out. And this is the same stuff we're hitting on, but I just, I, we have to talk about it. It's been, yeah, I love it. It's been really good. <laughs> yeah. I, I know early in the game, one of those ISO threes I was talking about was him. Um, and that, that was just like, Oh, that was sweet. There's just a pure shot. Um, and I kind of had a basket in my way. Like, yeah, that was okay. That was sweet, but but then yeah, the you know he broke up. Uh, uh, Durant was a role man on screen, and he he jumped the pass, stole it, takes it, gets it the other way, and pays to get a free. And I think it was the next time down, I got uh, got that block shot around the free throw line, and just you're right, just just active, and and um, we talk about guys that get lost and miss miss things so much. That's not he's O'Shea. Just like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like covering up for more than him, more than his man. I mean, he, or more than his rotation, it seems like. He's covering a couple at a time, um, it seems like. He just seems to be in the right spot, um, or at least where they need him um, all the time. And it, it, it is. I mean, it, it's such a good piece to the puzzle out there, even though right now they have their pieces are all jumbled all over the kitchen table. But um, if you can get the other good pieces in there to do all the offense and, and some other parts of the defense, um, he definitely would, would uh, be one of those valuable ones to, to include to bring it all together. Yeah. And what's, what's crazy to me too, or not even crazy, but I just like, I would like to see it happen. Um, I mean, miles and O'Shea as a, as a front court, just even in any kind of lineup, like I, I'm mm. picturing that is, is fun mm-hmm. um, yeah. because there's, <laughs> I, I like, and I'm not even saying that O'Shea is like a starter or anything, but I'm not saying he's not a starter. Um, No, he's not, yeah. you know, but like, you know, you never know. Um, He's looked like a, he, I mean, would you say he's looked the part as a starter? Like he hasn't looked out of place on either end. Like he's capable of attacking a closeout. He finishes well around the rim. He had a couple, uh, he missed some, some easy ones around the rim tonight. Um, 
But overall, like, I mean, he just feels like if you told me, uh, you know, watching this game and the Portland game that 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 he wasn't an every night starter and I'd never watched the Pacers play, I would be a little bit surprised. Yeah, I mean, when you you think about a, a quality team with and a, and a starting five, I mean, there is room on a really good team for a guy like that to be in the starting lineup. Who's a who's an energy defensive, primarily, you know, your best or better defender defender out there, making all those types of plays. Um, and in this day and age, those guys kind of have to hit the three, which he can do, you know, well enough. Um, they at least have to be a threat out there. Um, so he kind of checks all those boxes for a guy that you would love to have be your, like, fifth offensive option, let's say, um, but who can uh, cover a variety of guys at the other end and still make offensive plays if, if he needs to. You know, I mean, I think dealing at Alizé Johnson, probably the knock on him the whole time he was here was like, you know, he's going to be a liability offensively, even though he was, you know, like a Kenneth Reed type with energy and rebounding and all that. Um, and, you know, a, a guy like, like O'Shea, I think would, would fit in really well with, with this, with this group they have right now, you know, if you're not starting too big. Right. So, um, different story, but, uh, um, but yeah, so, yeah, I see it. Of course I can see it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it sounds crazy because <laughs> it's such a small sample that we've been witnessing, but it's just consistent. And again, that's another guy just comfortable out there. Um, and and he, he seems to be um, just in a, in a perfect spot for him right now, at least uh, getting incorporated with this team. And, and you know, he's, he's I, I feel like he's almost a leader out there in some ways just because of the activity he shows on defense and, and there's just no back down in his game. And, and it's been fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I'm, I mean, every night, like, I think I would just keep echoing this to people because I know people are frustrated. Um, and to some extent, I, I just want to say, I don't like, I get it, but you know, if you look at a game like tonight, um, I don't really think you can find too much fault with them. Like I think the defense, yeah, the defense sucked, especially in the first quarter, the defense was atrocious, but um, they were competitive and it comes down to a point. Like there was a possession that totally summed it up for me in the third quarter when they were, they, they switched to playing more of a two, one, two zone to try and, and switch things up. And um, I mean, they made like four or five really good rotations. And then like you mentioned, Kevin Durant just curled baseline and it was in and, and there's nothing you can do about that. Like it, it, at some yeah. point, like that is, that's a shot that very few guys are, are going to hit and it just it happens. Um, you know, it, sometimes you just don't have Kevin Durant on your team and that matters. Um, and, and, you know, this team is just so banged up in terms of injuries and, and what they're looking like right now. I just don't think you can be frustrated with, with them like you can be frustrated that they are losing but you can't really be too frustrated with the process in my opinion right now um it's not ideal it's better for the lottery odds as much as i hate saying that it's yeah. true um, uh, but you know we'll we'll see what happens the team's guaranteed to play in game pretty much unless like chicago just goes on some nuts run because even if washington is uh surpasses indy you know they're going to finish uh number 10 so we'll see though tom um, do you have anything else you want to yeah. say before we get out of here? 
Yeah, I mean that that you know, it's the thought has to go through everyone's mind of um, how could Toronto or Chicago um, pass the Pacers, but right now, I mean, you know, hamstring injury is kind of like a lower back injury. Those things are naggers, and and um, you know, hopefully, it won't take Bradman out the whole time, and they can get some of these guys back if they do make it to that that playing game. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, we we played the Wizards twice uh, coming up, and they've been playing so well. And um, I I think a lot will be told by what happens in Oklahoma City because obviously we just saw them, um, and and they're uh, what they're running out there isn't much. But right now the Pacers don't don't have a lot to throw at them as well. So uh, that that could go a long way to tell them how far this thing. Um, or how quickly it could tip the wrong way. But, um, yeah, tonight they're still in there solidly. Like you say, I mean, it, it's hard to see it, it them falling all the way out right now unless complete bottom drops out and all these guys can't come back at all. Um, so uh, let's just hope that isn't the case because, yeah. yeah, we have some good ball to watch. So. Yeah, definitely. I agree, man. Um, well, <laughs> Tom – Thank you as always. Uh, we will be back again after the OKC game on Saturday, uh, or maybe we'll do it on Sunday. I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get closer. But uh, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Be sure to stay tuned. I recorded the mailbag pod finally uh, earlier today, and that'll be on the back end of this. I answered all your questions there. Have a good rest of your day. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, so we have a lot of questions to dive into today. So I'm just going to get right into them. First of all, thank you to everybody who sent them in. I'm going to try and answer every question. I have an hour to do this, so uh, we're I'm, I'm not going to rush through them. Don't worry. I have a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to dive into and talk about them. So first question from at duty leftist. I think I put that correctly. What's the asking price for Malcolm Brogdon? I got asked this by a lot of people. I get asked this a lot of times. Uh, ever since that uh, that Yahoo Sports article came out, um, and we've talked about that pretty in depth, I think the asking price for Malcolm Brogdon, I really just don't think he's going to be at, traded, at least not anytime soon, um, is my read on it. But, you know, things change really quickly. So uh, I think I would say he's definitely, you know, a comparable player or draft cap capital and a, long, and a young guy. I don't know exactly what that – would entail, but um, I just don't think Malcolm Brogdon is going to get traded anytime soon. Uh, I know that a lot of people will, will continue to ask me that around the NBA. I actually just talking to one of my friends in New Orleans yesterday. And they were asking me. It's just I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I think I would be less shocked if either of the bigs gets traded than, than Malcolm Brogdon getting traded. Um, so thank you for that question um, from not DB Cooper. 
Could San Antonio be interested in Domas? If yes, what a trade would what would a trade look like? Sign and trade for DeRozan? Question mark. Two young guys? Question mark. Something else? Question mark. I also think that Dallas and Toronto could have some interest in him. What do you think? Um, first of all, a lot of trade questions. Uh, season's not even over yet, guys. No, just kidding. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't. I personally like. I mean, I guess San Antonio could be interested in Domas, um, but they have Jakob Pertl. He's really good. He gets paid a lot less. He does a lot for them defensively. I think what San Antonio is really looking for is either another 3-4, like probably a a 3-4 combo forward, basically the same thing the Pacers are looking for, um, because I think they'd rather invest that money in somebody like that next to Pirtle because they have – I mean, he plays – like he can play an entire game, but he's really capable of playing an entire – like if he – he, he could be like a good innings eating big, like playing 20 to 25 minutes. Then you can run a lot of small stuff. I mean, they run essentially a four guard lineup most of the year right now. Um, I, I just like, I, I guess that it could happen, but I don't really see why they would make that kind of trade and, and give up somebody like, I mean, I guess sign and trade for DeRozan. If we just look at that, I don't really know what that does for the Pacers. Like that's interesting. I think he would be the best playmaker on the team pretty easily. He'd probably be the best individual scorer on the team as well. Um, he's not very good defensively, uh, and it's not an effort thing, really. He just isn't I – mean, he's not, like, the most engaged defender, but he just is, at this point, not a good defender. Um, but I do like the idea of him, but I just think for Domas, like, no. I, I don't think you could uh, argue trading for a guy seven years older. Um, and, you know, I, I think, like – DeRozan on the team is nice, but DeRozan on the team in, instead of Domas, I, I don't know if the team is that much better or if it is better at all. Actually, the team probably be worse. Um, in terms of two young guys, I think that's where you lose the Spurs. Like, I wouldn't trade DeJounte Murray and and Derek White for for, for Domas, just given their team build and, like I mentioned, with Kurt already. So I think it's just, like, there's a, – a, like, you could make it up value-wise, but I don't think it would make sense for either team to do it. Um Dallas and Toronto, um, like, what is Toronto trading back for Domas? Because I think if you're the Pacers, like, if you're Kevin Pritchard, you ask back for OG Ananobi, like, right away. I'd be like, okay, if you want if you want Domas, we want OG Ananobi and, you know, maybe draft capital too because I think you could li- – <laughs> sorry about that, AG. Uh, you, you're the one who chose to, to join in. You didn't have to. Uh, I am going to answer your question. I think you sent in a question. I can't remember. But, um, you know – with with Toronto, I do think like maybe it does make sense. Like I I think Toronto's in the same boat. Like they're just going to they're very like the way that they play. And again, it can always change up based on how a team plays. But I think Toronto is uh, much more of a let's have a bunch of really athletic forwards and go from there um, because that's that's how they play right now. I mean, they have obviously Van Vliet and Lowry, and they're they're in a weird spot too, and where they might be next year because they could be a very different team this time next year. So I'm not sure what to think on that. I think Dallas is where you have some legs and a team that would actually really try and pony up and trade for Domas. But like, what are they trading? Um, they wouldn't want to trade Porzingis. In my opinion, I don't think they would want to trade Porzingis. And if that's who they traded, um, why would the Pacers want Porzingis back? He is just like, he's, a, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's worse than Domas. Like I actually think in some contexts he might be better in some contexts. Domas is probably better. Um, I mean, Porzingis gives you a much more concrete idea of what you're doing defensively. He's a more than competent floor spacer. 
But outside of that, he's just not like it, I think it can be overblown. Like he can do some stuff as a driver. Uh, um, like he does have the ability to craft his own shot a little bit off of someone else, though. Um, like when he's alongside Luca, he's good at attacking second side stuff. He's a really good second or third player. Um, but if he's like, I mean, he would come here and you're like, what? He's your in terms of what you're doing. Like I, I just you're you're going from playing two bigs to playing two bigs again in a way that probably makes less sense. Um, so I, I just don't see how that that trade would work with Dallas because there's nobody else in that roster who comes close to Domas's value. And then if you like the trades, like the 2K trades where people like throw together three guys for one is where you lose me because those just aren't realistic. That doesn't happen very often in the NBA because you're losing so much in the aggregate and trading one guy for three. Um, so that's where I would land on that. Um, I do think like there are a lot more realistic trade trade places. Like if, if somebody was really going to trade for, um, for Domas and make a, make a viable push, like I could see like Charlotte doing it. Um, I could see uh, New Orleans doing it, but it just depends. I, I don't. I don't really foresee Domas getting traded either. I do think one of the bigs is going to get traded, but just um, given the fact that Domas was not the guy who was almost traded at the beginning of the year, it doesn't seem likely that he'd be the guy who's traded now. But um, who knows? It's a good question. I appreciate you asking it. Uh, next question from Alex Karate at Karate Alex. Um, think as a big player, do we intend to be a real contender, or are we okay on just being a mid-range team aiming to reach the playoffs only? Um, so I'm not trying to sound uncool, but this, it's just a reductive question to me. Like, I think right now this is a team that if they're fully healthy, you view them a little bit differently, but not that much. But I think you look at like, um, like I, like I'm, I'm imagining what you mean by real contender is a team that has LeBron or is going to the, to the finals. Like that's just not what this team is going to be. And I don't fully think they're capable of building that team right now um and i i mean just it's it, there are only about probably five to eight teams that i think you can realistically say well could, could if they wanted to today decide they're going to be a contender next year or in a year or two or something like that like even if the pacers totally tore down i don't think that they have the way of making themselves into a, a full-on contender just because you're not going to get that that one one or two extra guys who who make you a real finals contender like i think what the Pacers are aiming to do is do what they did with Reggie. Um, and I think that that is the way, like that's what Toronto did in a way. And you might not like that. I, I, I understand being frustrated at a team not performing well in the playoffs, but I do think you have to look at a team that makes the second or third round consistently and say, Hey, this is a good team. Um, and eventually if there is an opportunity to swing to the fences, bring in a guy like Kawhi for a year or two and then really go for it. I think that's the, that's the path. And I think that's what Kevin Pritchard wants with this, with this group. He wants that consistency. He wants to to make it to a higher level of competition in the playoffs. It We're not seeing it this year, but I think this year was a step back to take a step forward in some regards. Um, so I appreciate the question. I apologize if I came off the wrong way initially on that. I just like, I, I think about this one a lot and I know a lot of people will bring it up with me, but that's just, that's my opinion. I think they're trying to be consistently competitive, which is second round plus every year. They don't want to be a first round out. I think that's pretty clear. Um, and they're, they're trying to get there. Um, so we'll see though. I, I still have questions on some of the things that they've done. 
This question is one of the ones I was most looking forward to. This is really good um, from from Mike B8, Mike underscore Soros. Um, seeing how O'Shea Brissett came in and fixed many issues just based on his size and the positions he can play, and more importantly, guard, should we be more harsh on the front office for how they initially built the roster and the time it took for them to resolve the issue? This is an awesome question. Um, because, again, you can make the case, well, injuries – uh, they didn't expect T.J. Warren to be out. Um, but at the same time, too, you can look at it and say, okay, well, we we knew last year that Justin Holiday was playing the four, and that was not ideal. And while he could hold up at times, it's asking way too much of him to do that. He really should be playing the three. Um, so you can initially see on the roster, okay, well, with without T.J. Warren, who is playing the four? There's nobody on this team who is a real – forward on the roster I mean like Doug McDermott kind of but he can't really defend um other forwards that well so it's you know it's a difficult ask um so you look at that and you're like okay well if TJ is injured or, or we need somebody to play 10 or 12 minutes off the bench at the four spot I really don't think I think they came in thinking okay Justin Holley will be our four off the bench again um and they just had, you know, they're, you're looking at playing a double big lineup. You have Miles and Domas, so it's like, okay, well, I guess we're we're going to just run it back and see how that works. And we want to have as much playing time between our three starters as possible. So I guess you understand that. But at the same time, I do agree. Like, maybe they viewed Keelan Martin as that guy. Um, that has not worked out. He's had some okay flashes recently, but just is not um, – is not an everyday player and they need a guy who can be an NBA, an everyday NBA player off the bench as a forward. Um, luckily O'Shea is, is bringing that right now. Um, but I think I would say, yes, this, I don't want to say that we should like begrudge Kevin Pritchard in the front office for the way that they handle things. Um, but I just think ultimately I, co- I, I keep coming back to, I really felt um, last year, that there was enough data on the table that you could make the case to break up the two bigs. And I think that they would make the same case because they almost traded miles at the beginning of the year. And they tried to, to, to bring in Gordon Hayward instead of having a double big lineup and whether or not they'll say, you know, I'm sure that they'll continue to say, you know, we were confident with, with this group moving forward and we want to see them all play together. That's all well and good, but we know that you went out and you tried to, to trade and assign and trade for Gordon Hayward and it didn't, didn't happen. So clearly they don't have the, uh, I don't want to say they're not confident in the group, but clearly they know that there's uh there. It, it's better to not be playing a double big lineup. So I do think um, like, I, I can't think off the top of my head guys who would have been good um, as, as low end free agents. Cause they didn't have a lot of money to play with is either resign Justin holiday or, you know, uh, let him walk. And, like they could have brought somebody else in, but Justin was one of the best free agents this year. And I think you lose a lot not bringing back Justin. So even if you like, say you lose Justin and you sign like, um, who's like a, a guy who was a four, like maybe you sign Rondé Hollis Jefferson. It's different. Like, yeah, I know he wasn't in the NBA for a while. They're not quite comfortable players. The point being like, you lose a lot of what Justin brings offensively at the three, just for a guy who can guard three and fours, threes and fours more consistently. And it's just, it's murky and you lose a lot. Um, from from the bench too. I mean, like think about just Justin and what he brought to the bench last year. Like they're viewing it that way too. So I don't know. I do think that that some blame can be put on 
or maybe not blame, but I do think that there is, that there should be questions asked about that. You know, like it was clear that forward was a need after the playoffs and it was a need coming into the year and it, it wasn't answered. So I do think that that is a fair, fair, fair response. Um, and I appreciate that question, Mike. That's something I've, I've thought about quite a bit. Um, so another question from, uh, from at DB Cooper, I mean, at not DB Cooper, uh, draft strategy. Should the Pacers pick guys with high ceiling, low floor in the draft, Zaire Williams, Jalen Johnson, or should they pick guys with high floor, but with lower ceiling, Usman Garuba and Corey Kispert? Um, there, there's not a great answer to this because I think one of the biggest problems with the draft is trying to box everything into an archetype. Um, it's a problem in the NBA in general, but I see it a lot with the draft too. And I already started my draft work. I have a couple profiles that I'm writing up right now, but I don't want to like share a ton on the guys I'm doing on because I, I like teasing it, especially with like, it takes me so long to write things sometimes. So apologies to, to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Um, but in terms of like looking at this, I think you have to pick the guy with the highest upside who makes sense for your team. Like, does the guy have an avenue for minutes? Like, that's what one of the, one of the questions I have with Goga, like I liked the Goga pick because Goga has really high upside. Like I, I knew people who had him in their top 10 in the lottery when they, when they, when they picked him and we've seen this year what he brings, but at the same time, you have to point out the fact like Goga didn't even cross the thousand minute threshold until, you know, like 10 games ago, something like that. Um, for a rookie who gets picked that high or close to being a lottery pick, it's, I just really struggle with picking a guy who like, you know, it's, it's tough because they picked TJ leaf and trade for Thad young. Um, so there was no real Avenue for TJ to get playing time. They kind of like I and Kevin Pritchard like owned up to this a little bit. Like TJ was kind of screwed in that, and TJ was not an NBA player. Let's just be frank; like he's not. Um, but like you have to have a real avenue for that guy to play. So even if let's say like Usman Garuba is the the best prospect available when they when they get the opportunity to draft, and if they were to go back with a double big lineup again and they drafted Usman Garuba, I'd be pissed. Like you're like, okay, well Goga's there. Why are you why are you drafting a fourth big? This makes no sense with the first round pick. So I, I don't think that's gonna happen. Point being, like um you have to have the space for that guy to actually grow and develop. Like when Paul George got drafted, there was a guy ahead of him, but like he took that over pretty quickly. And I think he's a guy who weighs out for like, I mean, compared to what he was at Fresno State, it's so different. But um Point being, without the opportunity to actually grow into being more, you're never going to really find out about that high ceiling. So I, I think there's a balance is the way I put it. But I'd also say if this team selected Corey Kispert, I would be a little bit disappointed because I think um, like Corey Kispert's going to be a good NBA player. But I think there are clearly guys who you could view and say, okay, well, in this two to three year contention window or whatever you want to call it, three or four, um, there are guys who they could pick that would make, you know, that would make sense that could maybe be, maybe they're not an impact player right away because Corey Kispert very well could be an impact player right away with his shooting. But like you look at guys who, okay, well by year three of them or maybe like two and a half years in, two and a half seasons in, they're a real rotation player and there's a chance that they become a starter. Like that's what I want. That's what, that's what I think a draft should be looking at. Like a guy who can, 
contribute in a smaller role, but get opportunities in larger roles is important. Um, so I know there's a really long answer to that, but that's that's my personal way of looking at the draft. I don't think you can just archetype it, but I all, it, it's really just dependent on the team and, and the roster, and that's how I would break it down personally. Um, I do have guys in mind who I really think the Pacers should look at in both the first and second round. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think they have their second round pick this year. I want to say that they do. I'm looking it up right now because I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, one second. Because um, the first is going to be a good first. Like, I- I'm really excited for where they're drafting to because, like, part of the weirdness of where they're drafting is a lot of the – like, this is a great question for where the team is drafting because when you're down drafting around, like, 11 or 12, that's where you start to get into the, okay, well, this guy has a lot of upside. But, you know, I, there's a lot of questions about him, too. Or you could even say, like, okay, well, this is what maybe you're looking at some of the lower ceiling guys who are already, like, a little bit older and have provided a lot more like a Corey Kispert type. Who I would not. I mean, I would personally not pick him at 12 um, just because I think that's, like, I would rather draft somebody who I can develop more. Um, and not to say that he's capped because he's older, but, you know, that's just that's the nature of how aging works. Um, so I'm trying to look at draft picks this year still. Um, uh, CT, I, will I answer your question right now? I, I, I teased your question and said that I have, pro, I'm working on prospect profiles right now on guys that I really like, but I don't want to like get too far into them because I'm trying to save some of my draft coverage. I will say, um, I really like Scotty Barnes. Um, I think that he brings a lot, but I also have so many questions about him. Um, but I do think in some regards he would really make sense for this team, especially if they switch to being a one big team. Um, I, you know, I haven't looked at Sharif Cooper yet. Um, I'm not like the biggest small guards guy, but I know he brings a lot um, that could be interesting. I like James Booknight. Um, and again, you, you're bringing in like another combo wing, small wing uh, to the team, but like he's just a electric scorer and I think would fit in defensively and just brings you more length. But really, the team needs a 3-4 type, and I think that's where you look at it. Like, Scotty's not a 3-4, but he brings the length. He, he makes a lot of sense defensively, um, and, and you think, okay, well, maybe he could grow into something more offensively. Um, but that's just that's where I'm at right now on some of the draft picks. Like, I, I, I want to look at Franz Wagner a lot more. Um, because they really need somebody who's super athletic, and that's not Franz, but he does a lot that I like as a player. Um, but at the same point, like my point is just if your starting lineup is Malcolm Brogdon, Karis Levert, theoretically Franz Wagner, TJ Warren, and, and Demonis Sabonis, like Jesus Christ, the, nobody on that team can jump more than 10 inches off the ground. So, like, that is a, that is a tough scene, and that's reductive. Like, Malcolm can dunk. All those guys can dunk, actually, but – Point being, like you have to, you have to have some athleticism in there because that's been a problem for the team. Uh, yes, CT. I think uh, I was trying to hide it, but I think Moses Moody is probably my top pick for the Pacers right now. He's one of the guys I'm writing a profile on. But uh, that's enough on the draft. You've gotten enough out of me on that. Um, so, and moving on to the next question um, from Anthony Childress. With Warren coming back next year, the discovery of Brissett as a backup four and Sumner producing, do the Pacers have to decide between Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott? I know if that's the case, they'd have to re-sign Doug and move Justin Holiday, or could just let McDermott walk. 
Um, so that is a good question um, because it's something I've thought about and I've, I've written about it too on how the pieces are pay, pieces, pieces, how the Pacers are going to have to look at um, what how they're going to have to look at reshaping because I think um, I was talking about this with Tom a couple days ago. Like this team is really in store for a productive offseason, or I would be surprised if they don't have a productive offseason. Uh, and just by productive, I mean a lot of moves. Um, like I think. This team clearly needs to, to, to shuffle some things um, coming off this year. Like every time that they have had a wall, you look at 2014-15 when PG's injured. I mean, they completely resurfaced that team for 15-16. Uh, you look at the years without, you know, when Danny first was was coming into his own. Like that team was constantly in flux between 08-09 and, and through to 11-12. Um, you know, in between the finals run and uh, Jermaine coming, that was, I mean, Jermaine came as part of, came to Indiana as part of them reshuffling the roster, sending out, sending out Antonio Davis the year of the finals, sending out Dale Davis the next year after making the finals. Like, uh, you send out Mark Jackson, like you re, you, you completely shift everything. Like, that's what the team tends to do anytime there is a, a down year. So I do, uh, that's what I anticipate happening this summer. Um, as far as things go, it's, uh, I mean, I think I'm a lot more willing to move on from Doug McDermott than I am Justin Holiday. I know Justin's older. Um, he's on a good deal. I really think Doug has a chance to get paid more than the MLE this summer. Um, and in talking to people around the league, that it, I wouldn't say it's consensus, but I do think there's some merit to that. Joe Harris was paid four for 64. Joe's a better player. He's a better shooter than Doug. Um but Doug is a fantastic shooter off movement, which is the most valuable skill in the NBA um, other than pull-up shooting. And what he's done getting to the rim this year has been remarkable uh, and has showcased that he's not just a shooter and can do a lot more for an offense. So it's going to be hard to replace that. But I also think in terms of what the team is doing, where they're going, I just don't know that they can afford to pay Doug and trade Doug and trade Justin at the same time because I think Justin, when he's right, which he hasn't been, Justin can bring you that. Um, I, I I have a lot of questions of whether or not you know Justin is just fatigued or what's been going on with with him uh, dipping down. I really do think it's because of how much he started and the wear and tear on him defensively. So I'm not like buy low on on Justin Holiday at this point. Um, but I guess I would ultimately say like let Doug walk. Maybe you can do a sign and trade or something. As much as I like Doug, he seems like a really great dude. I've only gotten to talk to him a few times, but um, I, you know, it, it's, that's, that's how it works. You can't afford to overpay role players when you're trying to become a contending team. Um, or you have to be willing to pay the right role players is how I should put it. Um, because it's not like I think Doug's going to get overpaid, but just for the Pacers who will be like, this team can't afford to pay Doug McDermott, like a three for 40 deal or something like that, you know? So uh, we'll see on that. Um, I appreciate the question. From Dan Ollinger, a good friend of mine, uh, you get to change one front office decision in Indiana's history as an NBA franchise. What is it? Oh, man. Um, so many questions here. I would love to have it change up so that, uh, like, Larry Bird not throwing Roy Hibbert under the bus would be really cool in 14-15. Um, that sucked. I remember David West saying that he did not like that, and that was a big reason why he left. Um, uh, granted, Roy was probably already, like, I don't want to say toast as a player, but 
he had lost a lot uh, in terms of confidence and just even his ability had started to fall off a little bit th- at that point. But um, I mean, that was just such a catastrophic year in general in 14, 15. Um, other front office decisions, maybe. Hmm. This is a tough question. Um, I'm never going to say that they shouldn't have traded Danny Granger because literally talking to guys on that team, like David, like I said, David West has come out and said, you know, like we understood why they did it. Like guys have said, we understood it. You make that trade again um, because Evan Turner theoretically brings you what you need. Um, I guess the one decision that I would make I mean, I guess you could just say not drafting TJ Leaf. Like, if you imagine drafting OG Ananobi instead of TJ Leaf, like, this team is in a fundamentally very different place. Um, but that's also just kind of reductive. Um, not letting Ron Artesk, Ron Artest, uh, ask out and not trading him, but you, you can't really do that. But that's also just because I love Ron Artest. Um, I, that's not really like, I don't really have a great answer for that one. Indiana's done a lot of quality stuff as a front office. I think, okay. My one answer, not giving Austin Crozier the Austin Crozier deal. The Austin Crozier deal is like maybe the worst front office decision in Pacers history. Um, and that's not to like besmirch Austin Crozier, but they paid him, I think, I think it was seven for 44 or somewhere in there. And he was like the highest paid player on the Pacers other than Jermaine O'Neal for a couple of years. And like they struggled to get off of that deal. And he just never was able to build upon what he did in the 2000 finals and, you know, they end up trading Brad Miller away and like, imagine having Brad Miller instead of Austin Crozier the next couple of years. Like, uh, I don't know. It just fundamentally changed how they were able to, to work some things in their books and pay guys. And I think that was a, a rough deal in, in retrospect. So thank you for that question. Um, for my guy, Alex Golden, would $85 million of Chris Paul for this season or next season be better than the four for 85 we spent on Brogdon? Um, it's a tough question. Chris Paul is the better player for sure. And you could argue that maybe he'll be the better player for the next two years um, because he's been that good this year. Um, but see, that's tough because like you go from paying Malcolm 20, like what? 22 and a half million dollars to paying Chris Paul 44. Uh, I mean, not 44, like 42. Um, like, I mean, I guess it depends what, who else are you trading then? You know, who else are you trading that you, you have to account for that much money? Cause that's like trading Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday or Doug McDermott. And that still isn't even enough to, to own up for that. So are you trading Malcolm in one of the bigs? Like does Chris Paul make you that much better? Like, I, I think you would have to have a more established team. Like, let's say if, if you're adding, okay, say that, if Victor Oladipo was healthy this year and he re-signed with the Pacers or something for like, you know, whatever. Um, and then you trade Brogdon and you have Chris Paul with, with a healthy Victor Oladipo, like that's, that changes things fundamentally. You, like you have to have, like it can't just be Chris Paul. Like you're, I think that's, that would be a good team, but not a team that's worth um, doing that in my opinion. Cause I think Malcolm is, uh, Malcolm's younger. He brings a lot. And also he's, he's just a, he is the leader of the locker room and the team and that matters, especially to the front office. They've talked about that and how that matters to them. I know this is just like a hypothetical, but I ultimately think no. Um, and that's knowing Chris Paul is a better player, but I do think that, uh, I do think that, that trading 
that like making that swap doesn't really do anything for the Pacers in the in the immediate term. Um, so thank you for that question. Uh, from my good friend Rhett Bauer, what teams would you most want to see in a play-in game or two, and what teams would you least like to see? It seems like we're going to make the play-in. Might as well win a game or two and see more Pacers basketball, I guess. Um, what team should the team want to see in the play-in game? Man, uh, I don't think that they want to see Washington because Washington has been really good lately. Uh, we saw Russ give them problems. Bradley Beal gives them problems as well. Um, I think that's just a really tough matchup for them all around. I don't think – I mean, I think ideally if they're playing anybody in the playing game, it's probably Toronto. Like if Toronto is able to tie for the 10 seed, I think that's the team I would most want them to face. I, I don't know if Chicago is going to end up making it because Zach Levine is still out and they haven't been playing super well lately. Um, I mean, Washington would be hard. Charlotte, I think – I mean, we've seen with Charlotte, especially if Miles is going to be out, I think Charlotte would probably win. I would take Charlotte in a playing game or even just a series in general against the Pacers. So Charlotte would be the team I don't think that you want them to face. Um, I, I mean, I think if Miles is back along with Domas and they play against Miami, that's still really tough because we saw what happened against Miami last year. They've played Miami better this year, but Miami is just like they're, they're kind of an unknown for me. Like they're really hard to gauge. They're not as good as last year. I don't think they're a quote-unquote flip-the-switch team, um, but they still just have more talent at the top end. Like, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler would be the two best players in the series, and there's not really anything the Pacers could do to counter that, in my opinion. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it would just be the Heat would be significantly better. Um, uh, did I answer that question in its entirety? Yes. Okay. Um, so another one from Rhett. What do you feel is the identity of this team? Like, what's the one or two things that this team can fall back on as a building block? Don't mean this as a pick a player and build around them, but more of what we are as a team. Um, I mean, it's a good question. I, I think you look at, like, the way that I view the team. Like, it's so weird because their identity has changed so much this year. And a lot of times it's felt like they don't have one. Um like, I, you know, I've talked to Caitlin about this on one of our pods and, uh, you know, just talked about it in general. Like, they just have been kind of a, a team that just doesn't have an identity. When they were at the beginning of the year, they were really competitive defensively, um, and they got to the rim. And while they still get to the rim, that can't be your whole identity. You can't just be get to the rim because they have a lot of guys who can get there. They don't have a lot of guys who can finish there. So they're, like, top five in location-effective field goal percentage which is like if you shot league average from there, what your t total field goal percentage would be. So that's a good thing to have it high. But they're also like very low, I think bottom bottom 10 in terms of actual efficiency. So that means they're shooting worse on shots that they should shoot better on. Like they just have a lot of guys who aren't awesome rim finishers. And part of that is missing TJ Warren because um, he is fantastic at the rim. But again, with the way that this year has worked, that just isn't, very good basketball um, in some regards. Like they just like it because if they stop getting to the rim, it's because they can't get to the rim. Like, cause they want to get to the rim. Like when they take 40 threes, when they're taking 30 plus, I mean, 30 is not that bad. When they're taking like 35 plus threes, it's because they can't drive. Like they're, they're driving into the defense, but they're not getting to the rim and they're just kicking out and forcing threes up. Like this team's better when they're taking fewer threes. Or not even fewer threes, but they're just taking like a lesser amount of threes. 
compared to like some of the high numbers we saw at the beginning of the year, like in the preseason when they were breaking records, like it makes a big difference. Um, so I guess the, the identity of this team would be motion, I think is, is how I view it. And we've seen that uh, over the last couple of weeks with the, the change in pace as they've been more of a one big team. Um, I think that's what they really want. And I, I do think it has to be more of a controlled pace because especially on defense, it's just um, the defense is still really bad. Um, like there are stretches where it can look okay, but it just, uh, it's not great. Um, I would like to see them like they play. Uh, they're very multiple, but not good multiple. Um, it's like the kid who finished their multiplication table first and it's like half of it's wrong. That's how I feel about it in some regards. I know that's maybe a little bit unfair, but I mean, that's how it feels like they run out six different coverages in a game and they're getting boshed routinely or just, you know, easy stuff is happening at the rim because you're not making a weak side rotation. Like that's how I feel about the team right now. Like, so their identity is very muddled, but ultimately I would say motion. Like you look at this team and at their best, they have a ton of motion in their offense, just doing some really beautiful stuff and moving the ball and multiple guys driving, collapsing, uh, kicking out. There's replacements happening on the weak side when, when guys aren't even involved in a play necessarily. Like there's a lot going on. It confuse the defense, but the problem is it also gasses out your guys, which I think is part of the thing that we see factor in. Like maybe that's part of the reason the defense isn't as good because they work so hard on offense. Um, so I think that's another thing that factors in. Like I would really like to see, um, I would really like to see the defense be less complicated because if the defense is less complicated and they're not trying to do so much with it, maybe they're able to expend that much more energy on offense without being as, as worn down by going back and playing the other side. So I don't know, but I guess I would say motion and pace is probably their identity moving forward. It seems like just listening to Nate Bjorkman and the, the decisions he makes, the, that's important to him, clearly. I mean, I don't think Ed would have gotten into the rotation like he did um, without it. So that's uh, that's where I'm at on it. I think that's the identity moving forward, and we'll see. Thank you for the question. Um, from Zach, I think, Klein, what are your expe- expectations of Sumner when and if the team is healthy? Uh, and does Aaron Holiday have any trade value at this point? So expectations of Sumner, um, I really am hoping that Edmund Sumner – gets some on-ball opportunities, uh, not moving forward necessarily, but just right now to get a more comfortability doing that. Um, I think there's potential with him running second units. Um, like, I, I still think you can see that ceiling uh, because he's shown some really good flashes as a passer. Um, I, I don't know if it's all the way there for him. Maybe he'd need a lot of reps to do that. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so I guess I'd say my expectations are for him to be a really competitive defender who's maybe the seventh man off the bench, because I, I think ideally he's not the sixth man. Um, you want somebody who has a little more scoring pop as a sixth man. Um, and maybe he can be a spot starter too. Who knows? Um, it all just depends on like, be, like again, being multiple and, and doing that. Um, but I think as a, as an energy guy off the bench playing like 20 minutes a game, Fantastic, uh, especially if he's going to shoot the three this well. Um, like if he's able to develop a little bit more as a playmaker out of his drive game and some of his own individual ability, like I always like we've always wanted Ed to put on strength and I don't think he ever has. I don't know if his frame is ever going to, to, to like if he's, if he's ever going to be able to put on 10 or 15 pounds. Cause I think if he did, 
that would fundamentally change what he can do on ball because he's so light right now. Like it's easy to knock him off course, even though he is so fast. If he were able to be a little bit more, um, a little bit stronger at the point of attack, that'd be better for him defensively and um, and on, on on the ball and offense too. I think. Um, but I guess I'd say yeah, like a seventh man, seventh or eighth man somewhere in there, providing really good minutes off the bench. Does Aaron Holiday have any trade value at this point? I think he's a second round pick, um, like maybe a second round pick or two, or you swap him with like say the Knicks wanted to trade Kevin Knox. Um, they're both having kind of similar careers, like they just haven't. I think Aaron's had a better career to this start. Uh, this year just hasn't been good for him, even though there have been a couple of stretches where he's looked like he's going to turn things around. It just hasn't worked that way. Um, so right now, I mean, I think there is like a small amount of trade value, but more like uh, a neutral trade. Like you're, like I mentioned, like you're trading a um, an asset that you're unsure of. And I, I don't like seeing asset for guys, but like you're trading a player who hasn't worked out for a guy who maybe hasn't worked out somewhere else. So like maybe you trade with uh Casey, like Casey from Miami is really interesting. I, I don't think Aaron would actually make any sense for, for Miami. That was just me thinking of a guy who hasn't gotten a ton of runs somewhere yet that I've liked, but that's just a thought. Um, so from Smith at Big Blackenstein, with Miles probably done for the year and a large enough sample, what is your grade on your bonus for the year? You have time. Uh, things that worked and didn't work running two bigs this year. Um, so first of all, thank you for the question. Grade on your bonus is tough because I think a lot of the issues with them this year haven't really been their fault. It's just been roster construction problems. Um, I think – Miles and Domas have both had really good individual seasons in different ways. Like Miles has had the best offensive year of his career on top of his best defensive year. He's figured out just where to be on offense and, and kind of his role a little bit more. Um, the defense has obviously been awesome. Uh, Domas has had a really good offensive year, and I think the defense has been unfairly judged in some ways because the team is just so poorly built around him in some regards. Like, um, especially on defense, when you see it's tough because I think people get spoiled by Miles and what he can do. If he's if he's in a two on one, he can neutralize it more times than not. Which is he's one of the, he might be the best pick and roll defender in the NBA at the big man position. Um, like that's not exaggeration. That's just like being completely honest. Um, and when Domas can't do the same things that miles can, when he's putting a two on one, I think people see that and they think, Oh, well, Domas just can't play defense. And it's more like, well, no, the low man doesn't rotate. Nobody picks up the roller and it's a wide open dunk. And it's not on Domas. Domas did his job. Like sometimes you could play a little bit higher at the level of the screen. It's hard to know in game if that's on Domas or the coaching staff wants him to play it that way. Um, so I, I don't really know with that, but ultimately I think it's just Domas has been in a really poor spot defensively because that's what they've, they've put him in. Like that's how they've demanded he plays. And it's uh it's a little bit tough to see, uh, but he's been so good offensively, man. Um, like I've been so impressed with him offensively this year. Like, He's been trying to work on a go-to shot, which is what I really – like, that's the one thing that he's really missing right now. Um, I, I get frustrated when people think that he's a number one option. Like, I don't think Domas thinks that he's a number one option. He's never tried to act like that. He really only – like, there are times when he will 
dribble in the post a little bit too much, but that's because nothing's opening up. Like if he has an open pass, I think he would much rather pass than try and score. That's my personal read. I've never really felt that Dom, that Domas is like a ball hog or anything. A lot of people think that, and I, I, I just don't really understand it. I think um, when the team is really moving and there's a lot of cutting and motion off ball, like he wants to make the pass. He wants to make the right play. Um, and part of the problem is just he doesn't have that go-to move yet. Like he's got a really good hook shot, obviously, but teams can key in on that. Like, can he have that, that, that create that, uh, that self-creation that separates, um, like, can he, can he create space? Can he create space for himself? That's the biggest thing because he, uh, when he's, you know, getting hook shot, he has to get into somebody and he has to find some space that way. But like, he's tried that little, um, that like, dip in it's like a dip in dip down and then off the back foot with a uh um with a uh with like a so it's kind of a fadeaway but also kind of just a step back like it's it's almost like a dirk shot he's been trying to workshop that it's been hit or miss like to start the year it looked really good he had a stretch where it was just not hitting at all um and it's looked a little bit like he's tried it more recently and some of them have fallen, some of them are not. Teams don't really care that he does it, which is the problem. Like he just needs to have people give a shit that he's taking that shot. Um, so again, I want, th- I'm going really in depth in this question, but it matters a lot to me. Like it's a, uh, like, I think that really just is Domas's next step. And I do get frustrated too, because I think like, even though I think I've been in the camp sometimes if I think uh, like I'm much more now in the, you just trade whoever would get you the most value. Maybe that is Domas. Maybe that is Miles. Um, but I think with Domas, like he's 24 years old. And same thing with Miles. Like, I mean, Miles might be 25 now, if I remember correctly. Because I think uh, I'm trying to look. I, I know I want to have it right. Uh, no, yeah, Miles is 24. Um, where am I? No, he is 25. Yeah, sorry. Basketball reference is confusing sometimes. Um, but point being. Like, Domas has done so much to grow. Like, his growth, his first three years in Indiana have been tremendous. And I can only imagine what he's doing next year, you know, like, with what he's shown this year and and continues to do. Um, I just, like, I I think people think that Domas is just a finished product, and he's not. Like, he's not. He's 24 years old. What dude is a finished product when they're 24? And, like, bigs take longer to develop in the NBA than, than small players sometimes. Like we've seen, um, like Jermaine O'Neal is an, an odd instance where he probably part of its injuries, but he was more of a finished product earlier on, and, and he he started to wane because of injuries. But like you look at like, um, I mean, I don't I don't think David West made an All Star team until he was uh, four or five years into the NBA, and he was a four year college player. Like bigs just take longer to develop for whatever reason, and I think um, some people do sell Delmas short and what he can be. So to, to fully answer your question, though, man. Um, my grade for Turbonus this year is probably like a C plus B minus. Um, it's around where it would have been last year. Like they are good against regular teams and bad teams. And then their, their difficulty playing together really shows out against Milwaukee and Boston and not Boston, not as much this year, but like just in general, like if you look at last year, when they have to play a team that can go five out, um, or they have four wings that are playing. Like you see the the difficulty that they have playing that defensively, um, and that's a, that's a problem. I have more confidence in Turbonis offensively than I do defensively, um, 
And I think that's what it comes down to for me. So I, I think that's I, without going more in depth on it, I really just think it comes down to um, there. The struggles defensively are enough for me to say that it would just be better for them to have uh, to, to be playing one big. And I do think that they should blow up their bonus this off season. I don't know that they will. I think that there will be like, I mean, just based on uh, Alex is here in the chat and uh yeah, I think I answered your question. You were away, unfortunately, man. But uh, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for the comments. I'm just now reading the comments now. Thank you, Balat and Alex. Um, but yeah, I mean, Alex run, ran some good polls the other day on you know what, 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 what do people want the team to do this this off season? And uh, and just from hearing from people, hearing from fans, hearing from you guys, like running back with this group would be not not something the fan base is fond of. Um, and I'm sure that that Kevin Pritchard is, uh, is aware of that. Um, and he's not worried about that for the most part, but like there's merit to why people don't want it to run back. So that's where I'm at with it. Um, now that we've seen the recent success of small ball is obviously move on from turning this off season, go small ball with Sabonis at the five. Um, that's from NBA. I think I can't kind of just answer that. Um, but yeah, I think it does seem more likely that Turner is going to get moved. Even like, again, I think it should just be, what brings you the most value back um, and go from there. But yeah. And it's, it's less small ball. I think it's more just playing regular basketball now at this point. Um, one second, I'm going to take a sip of water. Ah, all right. So from uh, Lucas Eastman, considering Bjorkman won't change his playing style much, which free agents should the Pacers go after? Same for draft picks and possible trades that sh- that would make the team play better in the team's new scheme. Um, a good question. I'm going to take it in a different direction. If Nate Bjorkren isn't willing to change his playing style, I have questions about that. Um, because, you know, like he came in as a guy who was supposed to be extremely flexible. And I think he has been, he has been very flexible offensively and defensively. Um, but sometimes like, like Caitlin and I have talked about this sometimes just too much. Like it's just too much sometimes. Like, uh, there there has to be a little bit of a balance. So I think I would I would argue finding more balance with everything. Um, and I, I I never think that a team should focus on uh, what fits a coach best. I think if you have a coach that you have to build your team for, um, get a new coach because I think it should be about like you know you get the most talent you can on the roster that makes sense together. And then the coach has to figure it out. That's what a good coach does. And maybe I'm being unfair or reductive, but like, if I'm like, say that you could go get somebody like, uh, man, I don't know. Like, would it be weird to add somebody like, uh, like DeMar DeRozan to the team right now? Probably, but like he's talented and, uh, you could say, Oh, well, he doesn't, it doesn't fit the playing style. Okay. Well, somebody has to figure out how to make it work because, you can't just say, well, he doesn't fit the playing style, so he's going to come off the bench now or something like that. Because that's not how it works. You have to find out how to make that stuff work. Like, that's a, a herky-jerky uh, example, but it's important. Like, you, you got to find out how to make things work. It can't just be about the scheme and style. You have to adapt what you're doing to be good. Um, and I think we've seen that play out a lot in the league. So thank you for the question. Um, another question, uh, I don't have down who sent this one, but uh, it's if De'Aaron Fox became available in a trade, what would the Pacers have to go up to get him? 
first of all, I don't think he's going to become available in the trade based on everything I know. Um, he seems pretty committed to Sacramento. Uh, and also, they're just not really in a stage of doing that. Um, but I answered with a meme and just said everything. It's the Thanos everything meme because they would have to trade everything because that's the truth. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is fantastic. He's taken a leap this year as an individual scorer. He's been a good playmaker. The defense is still pretty hit or miss, but he's also on like the worst defensive team in the league this year. So that doesn't help. Um, but that's that's my answer for that because it's probably just not something that's going to be on our radar. Um, from Christopher Lloyd, who is more likely to get moved this offseason, Miles Turner or Demonis Sabonis, and who would bring more in return? Um, even though Sabonis is a two-time All-Star, I'd wager there's more league interest in Turner. I've heard mixed results around the league about this. I've asked around. Um, I think there are a lot of people who really do value Domas a lot more than Miles. Um, so I don't know if I agree. Um, like, I, I think that there's like maybe some validity to it. Like you could look at a team and say, okay, well, if they aren't built around a post hub, it would be weird for them to bring in Domas and have to reconstruct everything. So it would make, it would be easier for them to scale in. Um, it would be easier for them to scale in miles and, and build the defense around him without having to overhaul their offense. So I guess you could look at it like that. Um, but like for the most part, if a team's able to get an all-star player in, in Domas, who is still young and on a cost control deal for another three years after this one, like teams are going to go after that for sure. Um, so I think that Sabonis probably has more, more league interest. Um, I would actually say my guess is that the reason we hear about miles so much is because um, I wouldn't say that the Pacers are asking people, you know, do you want Miles Turner? But like, I think they've, they clearly, they've been more willing to part ways with Miles or, or looking more at that. And that's why we hear about it more. Like we don't hear about Domas and trades because he's probably not made available for trades that often. And I could be wrong on that, but that's just my assumption. Um, so don't, don't take that for what, what it's worth. Um, but good players are good basketball players. Um, and it's hard to have them. It's hard to find them. Um, like there are obviously every guy in the NBA is good, but it's about relative goodness. Like who is good on your team, like this and that. And Domas is just a damn good basketball player. That's the easiest way to sum it up. Um, same thing with, with miles. Like it's hard, but that's, that's where I lean. Um, last question from Walter Lambert. If the Pacers were to be bounced in the playing game, <laughs> somehow win the lottery to draft Cade. Do you think they would look at it as a chance to still win now or make some trades for more picks to bully around Cade? Well, this is not going to happen because the lottery odds of that happening are, like, almost negative. Um, but that would be awesome because I love watching Cade Cunningham play basketball and he's going to be, like, a generational player. Maybe generational is unfair, but he's going to be, like, a multi-time all-star. He's going to be so freaking good. Um, I was watching him play yesterday and, oh, God, he's so good. I really wish the Pacers could have him. Like, I just imagine him. He's like, it's funny to me because he is the Pacers. You can say this for a lot of teams, but if he was the guy who came to the Pacers, like, he would make them a legitimate, within two years, I think that's a legitimate conference finals team if Cade is on that team. Like, he's that good. He would bring that much as a playmaker. I don't think the individual offense would be quite there yet. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's hard It's hard to know what he's going to look like day one in the NBA. But, like, he's really good defensively already. Like, he just – there's – oh, God. This is getting me too excited. Um, it's not going to happen. But 
they would definitely look at it as a chance to win now. Like, I think if you get a guy that good, like, you're going to say, okay, we're going to go, let's get you to a playoff series and see what the hell happens. Like, I, I don't think that you would make trades to quote unquote build around Katie. Like, you already have TJ Warren. You already have, like, Malcolm would be really good alongside Cade. Uh, Karis would be an interesting fit alongside Cade. I don't, I don't know how that would work. That's like, I think you would, like, maybe you're moving Karis to the bench in that scenario or something. Um, because Cade is a day one starter. Like, that's not a guy who is going to be coming off the bench or should be coming off the bench because he needs the developmental reps on ball doing stuff from day one because he has the opportunity to be the best uh, facilitator and primary initiator on a team. Uh, you don't mess around with that, in my opinion. Um, so I guess they'd like make a trade or something, but uh, ultimately like Kate and Domas would be such a good duo. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I should just cut this part from the pod because I'm going to give so many people existential dread and sadness of I'm missing out on Cade. Um, the Pacers are still going to get a really good pick. They're still going to get a really good player. I'm writing up on them. I promise that that stuff will be out soon. I'm working on a couple other things freelance right now before I get those up. Um, but yes, uh, thank you to everyone who came into the locker room and listened. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Um, I really appreciate you guys. This has been awesome. Uh, I, you know, I just, in, in all sincerity, this has been a really awesome time covering the team. I'm not like done or anything by any stretch. I just mean, thank you guys for, uh, for being awesome. I'm really enjoying doing this. I'm hoping that this will be full time for me sometime soon. I do it full time, but I mean, getting paid full time would be awesome. But uh, Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited for what's next. I'm excited to, to see what happens with this team moving forward. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys again. Have a good rest of your day.